these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Morning, friends. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you, Steve, isn't it? Thank you, Steve. Uh, when I'm leading a service, as you have done this morning, um, I sometimes have nightmares about all my notes getting in a... On the positive side, of course, in my nightmares, I'm normally naked as well. and that may... <laughs> So I suppose we've got a lot to be thankful for, really. Um, now, here, here is a question for you. Have you ever ridden a delusional horse? A delusional horse. Well, I have. And the delusion that the horse, well, it was a pony, really, called Silver. <laughs> yes, really. <laughs> uh, this little pony called Silver, the, the delusion it was suffering from was that it, it seemed to believe that it could run down from the top of a hill with me on top of it and clear the five-bar gate <laughs> at the bottom of a hill. And from the moment it set off with this in mind, it was obvious to me that this was not going to end well. Um, the horse eventually came to its senses and put the, the brakes on and um, came rapidly to a stop, and, and I did not. <laughs> and uh, the last sound I heard before I lost all interest in anything for a while was an ominous cracking sound from my ankle. And uh, the consequence of that was that I spent Christmas and the entire Christmas holiday on crutches. Now, the upside of that was it was like getting a get-out-of-jail-free card <laughs> concerning the shopping. Had, uh, so I had no Christmas shopping duties, so I suppose there was a silver lining to that. Um, the American evangelist Billy Graham, of whose passing I suspect most of you have have heard and uh, read recently, um, was over here in the UK in the 1960s. And he was interviewed on television in the 1960s by David, now Sir, or then eventually become Sir David Frost. And uh, David Frost said this to Billy Graham. He said, you know, Billy, um, you cross the Atlantic on a luxury liner. But people point out that Jesus rode a donkey what do you have to say to that? Billy said, well, you find me a donkey that can swim the Atlantic and I'll ride it. <laughs> now, I mention those two stories because our sermon today has an equine uh, flavor to it, inevitably, because it is Palm Sunday. And this is a Sunday when Christians all around the world remember that time or think of that time when Jesus rode. Uh, quite possibly, certainly it's the only time we're told of, quite possibly the only time that he rode on the back of an animal. And uh, that is the ride, the journey we are going to trace from the scriptures now. So we'll have the, the passage for today, please, on the screen. It's from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19. <coughs> and the life of Jesus on earth is now, as we read, it is now drawing rapidly to a close, indeed to a climax, at the time about which we will read he was only one week away from his death. Another way of saying that would be to say he was only one week away from his life's greatest accomplishment. You know, some while before Jesus rode a donkey into town, some of you might 
remember that little children's song, some while before, Jesus had had an encounter with two incredible figures from the history of the Jews, the Old Testament history, Elijah and Moses. And Elijah and Moses and Jesus had been in conversation on a mountain during which time Jesus was transfigured before his disciples. And they spoke together concerning his death, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. That's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Because, you see, we would tend to regard someone's death as marking the end of any accomplishments. They're not going to accomplish anything further. All their accomplishments are now behind them. Not so with Jesus. As someone has said, the very hour for which he had come into the world was the very hour for which he, at which he left it. The greatest thing he ever did with his life was lose it. Well, here we are now. Jesus is at the beginning of this last week of his life on earth. And he is entering the city of Jerusalem in this remarkable way. So we pick up the reading at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, which, let's be fair, would not have been an unreasonable question, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. Well, it, his plans had been made. A prophecy had to be fulfilled. <coughs> a password had doubtless been arranged with some of his followers. This, this, is, this is a coded message, isn't it? Why are you untying it? The Lord needs it. And the events are moving rapidly to this climax. Now, some 500 years before, God had told his people, the Jews, through the prophet Zechariah, that there would come a day when the king of the Jews would enter the city of Jerusalem. And Zechariah had pointed out that when the king came into the city, he would not come on some great prancing charger of a war horse. He wouldn't come with all the accompaniment of military might and accoutrements and trumpets and soldiers and men-at-arms, just riding humbly on a donkey. It's a wonderful prophecy which was being fulfilled. Did you get this? There was nothing intimidating about Jesus when he entered Jerusalem that day. Nothing about him to make people scared. Nothing about him to, make, to force them to believe. It's still the same today. Jesus does not intimidate people. He does not coerce people into believing him or following him. He still presents himself to people. Allows them to make the choice as to whether or not they will allow him, as it were, into their city, into their citadel. The citadel of the will. And so the disciples go to the village and they find the animal and... Uh, they bring it back to the Lord Jesus. 
And verse 35 reads this way. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And we say, well, what were they, what were they shouting? Well, here it is, verse 38. Blessed is the king. Do you see the penny was dropping for some of these people? Ah, I see what's going on here. This man about whom we've heard so much, this man whom some of us have been able to meet and listen to and watch at work, this man now just sitting astraddle this, this little cult. This is the king. Blessed is the name, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So their voices are raised. Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, Lord. I think of a child in a Sunday school once who was asked, what, what does hallelujah mean? He said, ooh, ooh, ooh. you know how children sometimes do if you ask them a question. They say, arms straight up and jungle noises. You know what I mean? Ooh, ooh, ooh. They say, yes, yes, what, do, what does hallelujah mean? It means three cheers for Jesus. <laughs> well, it doesn't, but it kind of ought to. <laughs> and that's what's going on here. You know? Very, very excitable Group of people, aren't they? They're, they're putting their clothes on the floor. We know from other scriptures. They're, they're waving palm branches. And they're shouting. What a clamor. Incredible. Many, many years ago, the driver of a horse-drawn cab in, in London, one of the old handsome cabs, you know, uh, went into a Christian mission hall one night. And he heard someone talking about this passage, Jesus riding this unbroken animal through a crowd. All the clamour, all the noise, all the waving arms. And as he sat and listened, he couldn't help himself. He just burst out spontaneously. He said, what hands he must have had. What hands. You, you know, riders talk about people having good hands. A good hand doesn't necessarily mean a strong hand. A hand that can grip the rein as if it's never going to let go. That's not what good hands are about. What hands he must have had to control this, this little beastie. What, what is the most excitable and enthusiastic crowd you have ever been part of, I wonder? I, I've had the privilege of traveling fairly widely in a number of countries and cultures where, where Christians are traditionally quite excitable and emotional and enthusiastic, particularly when they're worshipping God. I've had Ghanaians tell me that the Ghanaians are going to lead the singing in heaven because they sing best. I've had Malawians tell me the same. But for sheer out-and-out out exuberance, I think the Kenyan Pentecostals probably have it. I've been in, in meetings where, where um, I, was, I was in a church in Kenya and um, I was at the front of the church waiting to come up and preach standing with the in a row with the pastor quite a big congregation all the way behind me there my son was at the back and he sent me a text <laughs> and uh, yes I, I should have had my phone off you're right but I didn't and um, I got this text and it simply said this because I was looking forward he said don't miss what's going on behind you <laughs> thought, what is going on behind me I said, and they'd picked up the chairs. 
And people were running up and down the aisle of the church, waving the chairs, because the preacher had said, let's all do something crazy for Jesus. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to. <laughs> people in my church um, think that I'm getting really quite overwrought and excited if I take both hands out of my pockets while, <laughs> while I'm singing, so... Uh, I've never felt the urge to pick up a chair to the glory of God, but I'm not going to criticise it. This was an excited crowd. They realised, this is a wonderful day. This day has never happened before. This day will never happen again. Look who's coming to us. It's Jesus. Come on. All right, well, that was what was going on. But now verse 39, suddenly the whole thing just, just goes chill. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees. Now, that, that's a real tip-off, you know. N- nothing good ever follows those words in, in the New Testament. Right? The Pharisees, for all their many qualities and merits, their concern for the integrity of God's word. I mean, that's to their credit. But to anything to their credit... They were really part of what someone has called the spot it and stop it brigade. They seem to be permanently on the lookout for something they can ban. And uh, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, verse 40, I tell you, well, I could. (laughs) I I could tell them to be quiet. But if, if I make them be quiet, believe me, you will not. Enjoy what happens next. If these people shouting and yelling and praising God at the top of their voices is disturbing you, you will not like what happened next. Because if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. The Pharisees really epitomized what Jesus had talked about on a previous occasion. Um, they were the old wineskins. Jesus said, you know, you, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. The new wine is just too effervescent. It's just got too much life. It's going to break out and burst out. And the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, were forever trying to, um, to cage within the old wineskins, this new life that Jesus was bringing two people so let's pick it up at verses 41 and onward I think some of these verses might be some of the saddest in the entire Bible actually see what you think as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city he wept over it and said if you Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Just as there are consequences to believing in Jesus, so there are consequences to not believing in 
Jesus. Choices always bring consequences, don't they? Understanding that is one of the things that should mark out adults as being distinct from children. Children generally don't make a linkage between choice and consequence, but we're grown-ups and we ought to. Choices bring consequences, and that's true concerning Jesus. And Jesus says, because you missed this opportunity, there will be hell to pay, actually. That's really the essence of what is being said here. So it is a hugely, hugely serious thing, isn't it? You did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Now, now listen, friends. Um, this is not the first time, I suspect, for any of us here that we have heard about Jesus. Um, and some of you may well have been, for some weeks, months, possibly even years now, you, you've just been listening to all that's been taught and you've been uh, uh, turning things over in your mind um, it's very good to give deliberation to these things, isn't it? It's very important to give proper consideration as to whether or not you're going to believe in and really follow Jesus Christ. Jesus himself taught that, that we ought to sit down and, and think very carefully and what he called count the cost before deciding that we're going to open up our lives to Christ and receive him into our lives and let him be our king. Jesus spoke about the folly of someone setting out to, to build a tower and then discovering partway through the project that they had not calculated uh, properly and they didn't have enough bricks to finish the project. Jesus said all they will end up building is a folly. And instead of being a memorial to them which people will take respectful note of, it will just become a source of, 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 of humour. People will make fun of them because of it, you see. So it's very important that we don't make premature, ill-considered decisions to follow Jesus Christ. But deliberation is meant to come eventually to a point of decision. There's a time to think about it and there's a time to act on what we've been thinking about. Now Jesus had been with these people for three years. Many in the crowd had witnessed his miracles. They had heard his sermons. Some of them had even entered into conversation with him. And now the crunch has come. Jesus is coming as king to Jerusalem. And the choice has to be made. Will I welcome him as my king? Or will I not have this man to rule over me? And this was their moment. Life is uh, so often about timing, isn't it? Did you hear about the chap I heard about this man? He was, he was blind, completely unsighted. But he, he decided to make a parachute jump. And uh, he made a successful parachute jump, and even more importantly, a successful landing, of course. And he was asked afterwards how he'd done it. He said, how did you know when it was time to exit the plane? He said, well, there was a, a buzzer which sounded, and anyway, there was an instructor on board, and he patted me on the shoulder and told me it's time to go. See? Ah. How did you know when it was time to open your ripcord? This was in the days when this was done manually, you know. He said, well, I had an altimeter on me, and as I fell, when I got to the right height, it beeped, and that was a time to tug and open the ripcord. How did you know when it was time to put your feet together and bend your legs and sort of prepare yourself for impact with the ground? He said, the lead went slack on my guide dog. <laughs> now, clearly not a true story, you see, but, but timing. <laughs> timing is a wonderful picture, if you can't do it. 
Timing, you see. It, here, it's all about timing. So let me close by telling you this. Um, I first heard about Jesus in a way that really connected with me when I was about 15 years of age. Obviously, I had heard about Jesus prior to that, uh, uh, being the age back I was back then. You hear about Jesus every day in the context of, uh, of school, in the school morning assembly or whatever. But I was 15 before anybody found a way to talk to me about Jesus, which gave me any idea at all that there might be rather more to this than I had previously suspected. But I did not become a Christian until I was 18. And it happened like this. I was sitting with my Christian friends. We were arguing, as we often did, about Christianity and the Bible. And suddenly, um, I wish I could put this rather better, but suddenly I just had the most powerful sensation that if I did not become a Christian that night, I probably never would. And I, I don't think I even said goodbye to the people in whose flat I was. I just got up immediately, put down my coffee mug. I went out into the darkened streets. It was coming on for midnight. I ran home, up the stairs of my house, into my bedroom, shut the door tight behind me. And as a great gangly, pimply 18-year-old, got down on my knees by my bed. I said, oh God, oh Jesus. If what Kathy and Beryl and Colin and Wendy and the others have told me about you is true, I need you. Please come into my life. Come and change me. And that's where it began for me. That sense that this was the time. Because I really have come to believe after 45 years of travelling as a preacher and being involved in ministry, I've come to believe that there is a time in a person's life where they are as close to becoming a Christian as they're probably ever going to be. And this passage just brings us up against this, I think. Have you recognised the opportunity that God is giving to you right now? Say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. I want to follow you. That's for challenge today, isn't it? Let's bow our heads. <coughs> When I became a Christian, I, I tried to put into words, into prayer, what I was thinking, what was going on in my heart. I prayed, Lord, if you're real, if what I've heard is true, come into my life, make a change in me. I'm going to give you a chance to do that now. I'm going to pray a short prayer, just a few words at a time, as if I was asking Christ into my life this morning. And I want you to take my words. Mix them with your own sincerity and pray them after me. Not out loud, just in the quietness of your own heart. Asking Jesus to forgive you for your sins and come and live in you and be your saviour. Be the king that you will follow. So listen carefully as I pray and repeat these words in your heart if this is right for you at this time. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. I know I am a sinner. I have said and done and thought many things wrong. And I've walled up the gates of my heart to you. I'm sorry for having kept you on the outside for so long. 
Lord Jesus, this morning I fling the gates open wide and invite you, King Jesus, come into my life. Come in today. Come in and stay. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. In your name. Amen. Just remain with your eyes closed and heads bowed, will you? If you, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell me you've done it. Because I want to pray for you. Not out loud by name, embarrassingly, but I want to pray for you generally nonetheless. And it's very important when we make a personal inward decision, it's very important that we don't keep it private. So if you prayed that prayer without any further ado, just raise your hand, would you? I'll see you from where I am. Just raise your hand to your shoulder. I'll see it. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. That's right. Anyone else just going to raise their hand? I, yes, thank you, sir. Thank you. That's good. Oh, thank you. Now, please open your eyes and look at me. Good. Those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart, and particularly those who raised their hand to indicate they'd done so, I'd love to take a few moments to talk with you afterwards. If I'm chatting with someone, well, speak with one of the leaders of the church here, or someone you know is a real believer. And just say, when Bob prayed that prayer, I did it. I said it. They'll know what you're saying. Well, now we're going to sing together our concluding song. There's a place where the sun shines. So we're going to... Amen. Amen. Now, I should have checked before I got up here. Are we serving a... I thought perhaps from the noises emanating from the kitchen we were. (laughs) So that's good. So do stay and enjoy uh, a tea or coffee or whatever. And uh, you may now go and... Rescue the teachers from your children or whatever way you, however you want to think about it. So our service is now concluded. Lord bless you.